Turn with me over to the book of Exodus. We're going to study worship for the next two weeks, worship. And we're going to start with how God defined what worship should be, what it should look like for the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 5. This is the account of Moses appearing before Pharaoh, and he has his brother Aaron with him. And he's petitioning Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go that they might worship him. It says in Exodus 5, verses 1 through 3, And afterward Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, verse 3, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Lord, help us as we study. You have to understand the context of the petition that Aaron and Moses are making before Pharaoh to get the verbiage and the language, the syntax. They had a command, namely Moses. And Aaron was really just along for the ride. Uh, he wasn't the principal architect of the, hum the human involvement in deliverance. He simply was the voice piece for, for Moses because Moses complained so much. He argued with God. God said, I want you to go. Burning bush talking to him, not being consumed. Moses argued, can't you find somebody else? I don't know how to speak. At the, at the I don't know how to speak, God was angry with him and said, who made man's mouth? And, and, and God just wasn't angry with him. It says the anger of the Lord burned. Now, that's when you're angry on top of angry. You don't want to be in that position with God. That's not a good place to be. So, so but, 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 but Moses was hoping that his inability to speak, at least his saying he was unable to speak, because I don't know many nobles that weren't trained in elocu elocution. I don't know many. Your, your job is to communicate. And Moses grew up in Pharaoh's home when he was the king of the land of Egypt. So he knew how to speak. He just didn't want to. So I imagine Moses was trying to play this trump card saying, my mouth just doesn't say the right words the way I want to say them. And he was thinking this will be the final thing because you definitely don't want somebody who's a voice piece that can't represent what you're saying well. So I'm not the right guy. And God, God being God, said, well, yeah, I figured you'd say that. Now, this is Brett's paraphrase. He said, because Aaron's on his way. And, and he'll be your voice piece. And I imagine at that moment Moses went... I can't get out of this thing. He's thought of everything. So that's how Moses and Aaron appeared before Pharaoh. And when you appear before Pharaoh, you've you got to remember, even though they had clear, clear direction about the people of Israel being released from Egypt and Pharaoh's, Pharaoh needing to obey what God said, they also were appearing before a king of earth. And... The last thing you want to do when you appear before a king is threaten him. You, 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 that's not good because you might appear, but you may not leave. <laughs> you, 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 and so they use entreating, appealing language. Please let us go. Lest judgment, pestilence, or the sword fall on, and he uses inclusive terms here, us. 
Now, we know the judgment wasn't going to fall upon the Israelites. But the last thing you want to do is make Pharaoh mad as soon as you say hello. So they were doing all they could to try to minister to the environment as well as communicate God's truth. And so they use language of entreaty. But as things go on and Pharaoh's heart gets hard, the language changes. And you'll see throughout the book of Exodus where it becomes, you better let us go or this is going to happen to you. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's not going to be good. But that's why they use the kind of language. Secondly, when we talk about worship, it's important to understand that worship and, and the term service are synonymic concepts, meaning they are synonyms in their idea. They are not synonym in word, but in their ideas. Meaning if you are to worship the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, what are you doing but serving him? And if you are to serve him with everything you've got, what are you doing but worshiping? So the two concepts are are inexorably bound. You can't pull them apart. If you are worshiping, as you should, then you are serving. You have to follow up all your attention because worship is all of your attention, all of your energy, all of your time and intent being given to one being. It is complete devotion wrapped up all around you. That's what worship is. But you cannot worship one while serving another. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Matthew 6, 24. You will either love one and hate the other or cling to one and despise the other. You can't serve two. The problem with Israel is that they were serving another master. They were enslaved. It wasn't a location problem because you can worship any place. Though in the Old Testament, location was important just to keep enough enough synergy and continuity with people that the the disparate affections of folks wouldn't begin to dilute the attention the nation needed to give to God. Did you hear what I said? If not, get the CD. (laughs) So location was important back then because generally speaking, the Spirit of God was found to be in locations. Though he was God of the entire earth, he appeared to Moses in the burning bush and we believe that was Mount Horeb and God said, come back here and you will worship again. And so that's where the Ten Commandments were given. We saw Bethel where Jacob said, this is the house of God. He came back to worship there. And at that place, God ministered to him some 20 years later with angels. I mean, location was important back then, but it wasn't primary. They ostensibly could have worshiped in any piece of terra firma they found. But the most important thing was they were under wrong circumstances that they were enslaved to Pharaoh. And, and the person who enslaves you, who is called your master, that you serve. That's what, you, that's what Paul said in Romans 6, 7. That which you find as your master, you must serve. Therefore, you cannot give all of your devotion to anything else. Thus, they needed to be free from Egypt in order to devote themselves to God. Now, do I have to, do I have to work real hard to draw the line to connect the dots for you all? You must be free from the world to worship God adequately. You cannot be enslaved to the world, nor can you make the world your friend and continue to worship him. You cannot. James says it like this in James 4. Friendship with the world is enmity toward God. Adultery. You, You become friends with the world. You're out there committing adultery with God. You cannot have it both ways. One foot over in the kingdom and another in the world. You've got to be completely separate. In in, in the New Testament, Paul says it like this in Romans 6. 
Come out from the midst of them and be separate. Don't involve yourself with the world stuff. What fellowship has light with darkness? Or Christ with Belial? Or what commonality has a temple of God with idols? No, no, no. Come out from the midst of this world and be separate. Touch no unclean thing. Then, everybody say then. Then I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me. You can't have it both ways. No, no, no. Now, I'm not trying to question your salvation, but I am questioning your walk. Questioning your integrity with God on the planet and your effectiveness in living for him well here. Question that all day long if both feet are not firmly planted in the kingdom. This is why Moses said the enslavement has to stop. The influence of Egypt has to stop. And we have to go three days journey. There has to be separation between them and us. And if you want to be in the kingdom, you must separate yourself from the world. Separate ourselves three days journey that we may go celebrate. Celebrate. Now, I, I don't know what celebration looks like to you. The, the primary two points I have in this are being enslaved and being emancipated. They were enslaved. They needed to be free. But, but celebration has a whole lot to say in, in terms of expression about whether, whether Egypt is still in you, although you may not be in Egypt. I don't know what celebration looks like to you, but I know what it looks like to me. Celebration is that which is so ostensible that nobody can say any different about how happy you are. And yet I'm, I'm, with, I'm with people who are my brothers. They, they love God. And they look at me in my worship. And I know I'm a little animated. I got that. I dance around, holler, put my hands up, wave them all over the place, singing loud. I do it a lot. But believe me, it has nothing to do with the emotional expression that is generated from my ethnicity. This is my fourth service today. I've heard these songs now four times. Four times. I got my praise on in service one. If that could have stroked my soul, that would have been it. I could have been fulfilled. But I came in and I the spirit of God was inspiring me. And I thought, you need some more worship. I need to worship you again with the same old song. Celebration looks different on me than it will on you. But it ought to look like something. I was, uh, I was with a, a friend of mine. And um, I go to a lot of sporting events. My kids are all in sports. And for the last 20 years, I've been taxi cab, driving kids from one level to another. Just, I'm telling you, when you got seven of them, you got five boys that are all in sports, you are working. You feel like you need a meter in your car. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. But I also hang out with the skins because I'm chaplain there. And I'll go to a Wizards game every once in a while with somebody. And somebody invited me to a Wizards game. And we were talking, and I was doing some discipleship. And fellowship and they were commenting on worship and, and they said well, pastor you know you all are really animated in the way you do stuff you know you lift your hands and sing and holler I even see you up there dancing I'm just not that kind of guy my personality is not wired like that I'm much more solemn in my expression wow. in worship and 
And uh, so I, you know, I'm quiet and sober, but I love God. I said, I'm, I, I, I don't question whether you love God. I got it. I understand fully. I got it. I'm not trying to, to change you. So we go to the game. <laughs> Now, the Wizards don't give you much cause for celebration. I got that. <laughs> Not many opportunities. But this was a moment where one of those last-second shots would win the game. And the brother came up from the three-point line. They were down by two. Boop, two seconds. Ah! Buzzer goes off. And the man who was sitting next to me. Woo! Hands up, raised, shouted, started jumping like this. And I mean, it wasn't just a moment. It was 30 seconds. You know, that 30 seconds is a long time to do something like that. Now, the Wizards just don't strum my strings. I, 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 I mean, I, not, I just don't care that much. And so I wasn't going all crazy. I was happy. I was smiling. I was going, hey, that's great. I'm looking at this dude. <laughs> and after he finished what he was doing, I said, um, could you do that again? He said, what? I said, lift your hands. He said, why? I said, because I want you to know that they work. <laughs> They work. And, and the feet thing, and that shouting thing. And then I said, no, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just observing. <laughs> could, could you help me with what the wizards have done for you more than God? Well, 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 well. I'm, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. I mean, do, do any of them pay your salary? Do you know any of them personally? Have they invited you to their home to sup? Have they healed your body? Uh, are, you, are you telling me that a ball going through a hole makes you do that? And comparing that with what God has done for you and how you appear before him on Sunday, looks like you are depressed. I said, I'm just asking, can you help me? Maybe I'm missing something. He said, oh, pastor, you got me. See, God called you to leave enslavement, to separate yourself, at least three days' journey, if you will, whatever that means. And I, I, I don't think there was much theological significance to three days, except that that's about how long it took to get to Mount Horeb if you went in a straight line. That's about it. Three days' journey into the wilderness. You got to be separated, because when you separate yourself from Egypt, one of the reasons is that you might celebrate your freedom. I remember what it was like to be bound. I remember. And the Holy Ghost allows me the privilege of feeling the joy of my salvation on a regular basis. I just don't depart much from when I got born again. I just kind of live in a circle around that moment because I don't ever want to... I don't ever want to forget what it was like to be folk out there in the world. Because I get self-righteous then. You start getting uppity and you get, you get attitudes about why people are doing what they're doing. And you get angry for all the wrong reasons. And you can't minister to them because you're so mad at them. So I need to circle around my salvation experience regularly to remind myself, save the grace of God. There you go. So I remember what it was like to not be right and to be bound and not be able to worship. 
I'd come into meetings like this in church. I'd see people lifting their hands, thought they're all crazy. Mm. Crazy. Mm. Out of their minds. Li saying stuff that didn't make no sense. Gibberish coming out their mouth. Oh, they're crazy. Look at, they look at them lifting their hands to the ceiling. And I just like this the whole time. That was bread. I didn't listen. Y'all who had, who've just been here a minute, I didn't come out with the Bible. I wasn't birthed with the Ten Commandments stamped on my forehead. I was a sinner just like you. But God has transformed my life. He's made me a new man. Such that folk who knew me before I was born again, they say, that ain't bread. That's just not. My, my brother and sister, the people who are most close, your family, who know you best, they cannot believe the transformation nor the influence I'm having over people. They just look and say, wow, that wasn't him. My, 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 my sister, I hit her with a golf club one day. My brother, I beat him up every day. Every day, beat him up every day. Play knee football in the house. Any of y'all ever done that? No, our kids now play video games. Knee football was the best thing. Knee football. And we had to just tackle him and drive him down into the carpet. I, I abused my brother. I was the eldest. I could do that. One of the privileges of being firstborn. <laughs> they cannot wait to come to church and hear me speak. They love to be in my house. They, can't, they, they cannot get enough of my family. And they just cry when they think about what God's done. Along with me. And that's just one testimony. I remember what it was like to be a slave and not be able to lift my hands. And not be able to give God the worship he is due. By the way, you know why we lift our hands? We lift our hands not because of some emotional impetus. It's strategic. What does a two-year-old do when he wants to be picked up by his parent? You want to be embraced by God? And up is relative in eternity. I mean, when you get outside of gravity, there is no up. It's just every place. So heaven isn't necessarily up. But because we perceive heaven as being something more than earth, something unearthy, we want it to be separate from terra firma. And so we think heaven is up. So what do we do when we need to give daddy something? We lift it up. What is the universal sign of surrender? Y'all can lift your hands on. That was a question you're supposed to respond to. <laughs> universal sign of surrender. God ain't fighting you no more. I'm not fighting you. Nothing in my hands. I surrender to you. Every time I lift my hands, y'all, it is strategic. It's not emotional. Now, somebody needs to explain to me, if you never lift your hands, why not? You fighting? Have you surrendered? Do you not want to be embraced? And do you have nothing to offer? And that's just one aspect of our worship on Sunday morning. Now, having said that and emphasized what needs to be done in here, and Sunday morning is really important, absolutely critical for us as a people to offer up something as a unified voice to God, different and distinct from your individual worship on, on your Tuesday when you have a devotion. And, and we need to do that because it's the one time when we are gathered together where we can give something to God and, and feel a sense of unity that all of us are on the same page that we cannot do in our own individual lives. And it's important for us to be together, which is a wonderful segue for you to be on time. Because we only got about 20 minutes worth of singing the song. That's about it. 20 minutes. 
And you, some of y'all treat church like the movies. You realize the movie starts at 12.10? So you get there about 12.25 because there's so many previews. The worship team is not the warm-up act for me. What's wrong with you? You need to come in here and give God the worship he is due and not deprive him of what he purchased. He purchased you. And he purchased us as a people. And when we gather together, it doesn't happen all the time. It's only one out of 168 a week. Come on. Just one out of 168 hours a week. Show up, be on time, so that we can give God something that is worthy. And not part, not pieces, but an entire body with a unified voice intent on one purpose of glorifying him outside of these walls and making sure he is honored within them. Show up and be on time. And I don't have time. I'm running out. Don't clap. Show up, be on time. But make sure you come ready. Don't always come needing somebody to help you. Oh, I hope Tiffany sings my favorite song today. No, 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 no. You come with a song in your heart. Ready, inspired to worship because you worshiped all week. All week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Saturday, and this is your overflow. You're not waiting to be plugged in to help you. Now, every once in a while, folks get in the down period. I got that. And you need somebody to lift you up. But your standard operating procedure, the normal operating of life, ought to be you coming here thanking him for how he has blessed you all week long. I don't know what celebration looks like for you, but what you see up here, it's not a show. What you see me doing or anybody else who is worshiping God with some degree of animation, it's not pretend. It's not just because he happens to be in church and culturally that's what we do. It's because I just love him so much. What's your expression of love look like? It ought to be celebratory at some, some level, some level that other people can see and undeniably say, that dude's happy. He's happy. Separation, that they might celebrate a feast to me. I don't have time to get into feasts, but that's a whole other sermon. That's, that's a moment. Feasts are normally prepared in the presence of your enemies, so you need not ever be afraid. You need not ever be afraid. When all the enemies are surrounding you, go ahead and belly up to the table. Find your banqueting table. Don't be afraid. Because the covenant is working on your behalf. There's something in that. There's something in that. I don't have time today. And lastly, sacrifice. Our emancipation is evidenced by sacrifice. Sacrifice. You cannot worship without sacrifice. Impossible. Impossible. Let us go three days out into the wilderness that they may celebrate to me and sacrifice to the Lord our God. Sacrifice. To live this Christian life, when we talk about continuity in worship, that worship is more than just an hour on a Sunday morning, but it's your entire life, it requires you to give your heart, your money, your mind, your mouth, everything that you are to your God, because that's for which he died. He didn't just die for your Sunday morning, and he did not just die to get you to heaven. That's a benefit, one I loved, can't wait to get there. 
but it, it, it is not the entirety of your redemptive experience. He wants you to live in victory here. Yes, sir. Victory yes. over sin, no longer enslaved by it or to it. That you can actually say no to the devil and yes to God every day. And that every day you can grow in your relationship whereby you become more like him today than you were yesterday. And with the hope that tomorrow you can be better than you are today. This is the, this is the, the benefit of salvation here. This is what redemption should look like. Defeat ought to be an unusual occurrence, if at all. It ought not be the normal. Most of, most of Christianity is saying, well, I'm only human. If I hear that one more time, I might just slap somebody. In holy reverence, with no repentance, none. I'm serious. I'm sitting there thinking, what do you mean you're only human? Who do you think this Bible was written to? Dogs? It was written to human beings, made in the image of God, with the potential, combining with the power of the Holy Spirit, to live right. Has God given us commands we could not do? Oh my God in heaven, start tapping in to the power of Almighty God and obey the scriptures and victory will be yours. You could never confuse me with perfection. But you can with consistency. All you got to do is talk to my wife and my kids and my staff and they'll amplify my flaws. Reluctantly. I mean, you can ask them, what, what, what's wrong with bread? Oh, sit down. <laughs> sit down. Right, we can tell you. And they'll cover me. I'm just playing with you. But I have a bunch of them, none of which let me qualify disqualify me from doing what I'm doing right now. I've been faithful to my wife for 26 years. I love her as I did, if not more than the day I said I do. She is a blessing to me and I'm grateful every day that I get to wake up next to her. It is amazing to be married to Cynthia. I don't steal from the church. I am living as right as I know how to be. Yet, there are some issues. I'm a human being just like you. Yet I do not say fate complete to my issues and just say that's the way it is and that's the way I am and that's the way it will always be. I am constantly saying, God, deliver me from me. I want to be better today. I need more victory today because battles are bigger today than they were yesterday. This is what freedom looks like. It is not just freedom from sin. It is freedom to live in victory and to advance the cause of God in the earth every day of your life, moving the ball just a little bit more down the field. Are you listening to me? This is the idea that God had when he said, come on out. Come on out. I'm going to show you what life should be. I'm going to put you in a land flowing with milk and honey, but every day I'm going to let you experience victory. Enemies there, they don't know it's your land. They, want, they think it's their land. And I'm going to let you know what it's like to experience victory. So I'm going to leave some battles for you. Come on, come on. I'm going to show you, what, I'm gonna show you what, what life looks like. This is what it, And when you see me begin to beat your enemies, they come out with three times as many than you got, and, and you are confident. All you got to do is, like, blow a ram's horn. <laughs> Crack a pot. 
walk around the city? Ah! Doesn't get any better than that. Oh, I'll show you what victory looks like. All I need is a willing participant. I will work through them if they work with me. Benefits of worship. This is how we're supposed to live, y'all. How we're supposed to live. Now, I close with this. Paul talks about what sacrifice looks like. And he says, submit yourself to God as a, as a holy and, and living sacrifice, which is acceptable to him. And it is your spiritual, this is Romans chapter 12, it is your spiritual service of worship to do so. It is, it is Christianity 101 to give your heart to him. This is an upper level. You're not talking about a master's degree here. This is, this is remedial Christianity that we submit all of our lives and present ourselves to him as living and holy sacrifices. And there's, there's, there's an and there. It is our spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. But be constantly, after you've given your heart to Christ, after you've submitted your life and sacrificed yourself, and constantly... Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? Except you get in this Bible and let it wash your brain. Let it wash your thought life. Some of y'all got some really dirty brains. You, you, you don't think right. I'm not talking about the stuff you shouldn't see on the internet. I ain't talking about that. That, of course, is... Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about your thought processes that automatically lead you to say that every circumstance that is against you should lead you then to fear and fatalism. That's a wrong thought process. God is bigger than that. And he is looking for this to give you a testimony. You don't have any testimonies when there are no obstacles. Everybody needs a Red Sea. Everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants the circumstances to get one. God tried to produce a testimony on the inside of you. Something you can talk about and... Because it's not all about you, but it's about you becoming something bigger so that other people can benefit from your service. It's, we are so consumed with our own lives, we can't even think about the mountains other people are facing. And so we're just trying to feel, God, please, in the name of Jesus, mountain be removed in my life. Please, mountain of health. Oh, I'm sick. I don't feel good. Please be, be, be removed. Lord, I need, I need you to remove the mountain of finance and debt and, and, and improper management. Lord, remove that. Oh, God. All of that. It's practice. It's just practice. So that when you get employed or deployed in ministry, you can begin to help other people see their mountains removed. That's all Jesus did. He was so strong in his faith, so reliant upon his Father God, that all he did every day is move other people's mountains. That's where we need to get. That's right. We have to get there. Have to. This is what the, the benefit of worship and integrity looks like. Let's pray. God, I'm asking you for your grace and mercy upon these people. Thank you for your goodness. There's nobody like you, Daddy. There's just nobody like you.